If you turn with me to the passage on which today's teaching is based, it comes from Luke chapter 14, and I'll be reading from verses 25 through 27. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is God's word. Yikes. Nearly everyone says Jesus Christ is a great teacher. But when you actually study Jesus' teachings, there are lots of hard sayings. They're hard to understand, and more importantly, they're hard to accept. For instance, Jesus says here in this passage, verse 26, you need to hate your father and mother, your spouse and your children, your brothers and sisters, even yourself, even your own life. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're saying, that is terrible of Jesus. That is awful of Jesus. It poses lots of problems for people, but I'm going to tell you, whether or not you wince at this text, now some of you are saying, well, I already hate my parents. I'm going to tell you, this text is going to pose solutions for you. Jesus is telling you that if you hate your parents right now, the only solution for your hate is to hate them my way. That's the only way that's going to heal you. In the end, this text isn't about fathers and mothers. It's not about uh, your families. It's not about your children. It's not about your friends or your siblings. It's, it's a text about discipleship. It's about what it means to follow Jesus. And so in this passage and the subsequent verses, three times Jesus says, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. If you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. If you can't do this, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. Three times in nine verses he says this. So clearly one of the central themes of Jesus' ministry, one of the central themes of Jesus' mission is discipleship, following Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. And so... We're going to look into that today, three things we're going to learn about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. One, it's a life of surrender. Two, it's a life of worship. Three, it's a life of power. Surrender, worship, power. First, we're going to look at surrender. Verse 25, text says that large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and then he turns to them, and he teaches them about the cost of discipleship. And he says this, if you want to be a disciple, he sums it all up. If you want to be a disciple, you need to carry your cross. Now, you have to think about this. Why does Jesus do that? There are tons of people following him, traveling with him, and then he turns around and almost he says something that's almost going to turn them away, right? And the reason is because you can be a part of a crowd that's following Jesus and not really follow Jesus, You could have been hanging out with people all your life who've had a personal relationship with Jesus, and yet you yourself not have a personal relationship with Jesus. You could be under parents and an upbringing of people who are totally devoted to Jesus, and yet you are not devoted to Jesus at all. Why is that important? Almost everybody here in this room thinks that there are two types of Christians. There are these normal types. I don't mean you, but there's these normal types, right? And then there are these types that are are really spiritual and really, really devoted, right? 
and here Jesus is essentially telling the crowd there are no levels. In verse 27, he says, essentially, you either follow me or you don't. You're either my disciple or you're not. Verse 27, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In other words, to be a disciple is a life of sacrifice, a life of total surrender. It's an absolute requirement of anyone who wants to be a disciple. And it means this. It means you can't say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really like into that. I'm not too into the church, not too into God's word. I mean, you know, I, I like to come and, you know, especially when I have the time. It's not for me, not right now. Look, in verse 25, to a large crowd, it's to this large crowd that's following him. Jesus doesn't say, yes, you are all free. And then he just gathers some people who are his disciples and he says, you need to carry your cross. That's not what he does. He turns to the entire crowd. He turns to the entire crowd and he says, you need to carry your cross. That means he's talking to everybody. In other words, to be a Christian is to be a disciple. And Jesus paints this amazing picture of what it means to really follow Jesus. It is a non-negotiable surrender of everything you value the most. Verse 26, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to hate your father and mother. You need to hate your spouse and, and children. You need to hate your brothers and sisters. You need to hate your friends. You need to hate even your own life. Now, you have to understand, today, people find their identities in their work, in their careers. So your job practically determines your status. Your job determines your, your wealth. Your job is what you find a sense of worth is where you find a sense of worth. But in Jesus' day, these ancient times, in a non-Western society, your family was way more important than anything you ever do or did. It determined everything. And so, your family determined your status. Your family determined your wealth. And your family determined or gave you a sense of worth. Today, you go away to study. You go away to work. You would never do that in the ancient times. You would never leave your family. And so Jesus is looking at your agenda. And he's saying, you have to be willing to surrender everything that you've built your life around. Everything that ever gave you a sense of worth. He's saying, don't come to me with a map of where your life should be or how your life should go and try to fit me into this life. Don't come to me because you need, oh, I need some order, I need some peace, my children need some morals, I want a happier family or even a better life. Don't come to me for things, I want you to come to me for me. Yes, I can heal you. Yes, I may fulfill you, but it will never last if you only come to me as a means to an end. You have to come to me as the end. Don't come to me because I'm relevant right now. You come to me because I'm real. Don't come to me not because you're consumed by something else. You need to come to me because I am a consuming fire. So not because you want to supplement your life, but because I'm holy. Jesus is the king. He does not negotiate. He doesn't have to. You have to give up everything. He is our king. Don't fit a king. You can't fit a king into your life. He is the authority of your life. Surrender. Secondly, being a disciple means 
that you're worshiping Jesus in a way that moves you, in a way that's personal to you. What Jesus mean, means when he says this, or what does he mean when he says, you know, hate your father and mother, hate your family, hate your spouse and children, hate your siblings, hate even yourself. Clearly he's not saying be actively hostile to them, be actively malicious to your father and mother. That wouldn't make any sense. After all, Jesus is always telling us to love our enemies, love even our enemies. Besides, even as he was dying on the cross, he turns to his disciple and had the thought to ask his disciple John to take care of his mother. So even Jesus was not hostile to his own mother. So what does he mean? In the ancient Semitic language, in the ancient Jewish language, you have, <clears throat> the word hate has two meanings. Of course, the first meaning is to actively hate, to actively show malice. But there's also a second meaning. It goes like this, Malachi chapter one, it's the last book of the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter one, the text says this. This is God saying, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Genesis chapter 29, you have the narrative of Jacob. He's a patriarch in the, in the first book of the Bible. Jacob had two wives. Unfortunately, had two wives, Leah and Rachel. Rachel was beautiful. Rachel was brilliant. But Leah was not beautiful. And the text says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, and later that the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. But in the actual Hebrew, that's not what it says. In the actual Hebrew, the text says that the Lord saw that Leah was hated. In both cases, Malachi 1, Genesis 29, it doesn't mean that, that there was active hostility, that there was malice towards these people, that there was hate. But in the instance, for instance, uh, Jacob, in Jacob's love for Leah, compared to his love for Rachel, was so much less it was so much less. The word hate is a comparative word. Jacob's attitude to Leah was like hate compared to his love, his attitude toward Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel so much that he actually initially agreed to work seven years for, Leah's hand, for Rachel's hand in marriage. And the text says that those seven years felt like a day. In other words, it gave him joy. There was a hope and a joy, a desire. For Jacob, his love for Rachel, it was his true north. It was his compass. It guided him. It moved him. It directed him. It comforted him. In other words, he worshipped Rachel. Worship is to love anything comparably above all other things in your life to the point where it defines who you are and it defines what you do. We're willing to die for the things that we love the most. Because in a sense, when you lose those things that you love dearly, it's like a part of you dies. When you lose the things that you love the most, it's as if you've lost yourself, you've lost your identity, you've lost your sense of worth. And that's why that Jesus Christ, in, when the disciples ask him, Teacher, Lord, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In the Old Testament, you have the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments are what? 
you will have no other gods before me. You will not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. God alone is to be worshiped. This comparative love, or you can say it's this incomparable love, it doesn't mean to actively hate your family. It doesn't mean that you have to now give up your career. It doesn't mean that you have to give up all your wealth. It doesn't mean that you have to hate your parents or your, your spouses or resent your children or you know, resent your siblings or your friends. It means that if you've lost them because you are a Christian, losing them, them doesn't mean that you've lost yourself. That's what that means. If your relationship with Jesus is comparably above anything else in your life, even if you've lost your family, you yourself are not lost. You still have a whole self. You're still whole. You still have a self. You still have an identity because Jesus Christ is your map. Jesus Christ is your compass. He is your real north. He's going to guide you. He's going to be your salvation. He's going to be your king. You're still whole. That word is integrity. When you order your loves properly, there is an intactness. There is a wholeness. You remain integrated, and so there's an integrity. It comes from the root word integer, which means whole. So no matter the challenge, no matter the suffering, no matter the circumstance in your life, you're still integrated. You remain whole. You remain intact. It's like a ship. Imagine a ship at battle. It's being pelted with cannon fire. It's being pelted by waves. But it doesn't sink because it's still together. It's still intact. It's integrated. Look at the kinds of love that Jesus is talking about here. Verse 26, hate your father and mother. He's talking about a familial love. Hate your, hate your spouse. He's talking about erotic love. Hate your children. He's talking about a paternal love. Hate your siblings. He's talking about a deep friendship. Jesus is talking about every kind of love that you have, and he's saying, I want all of that. And I'm offering the kind of love that will, pale in, that will make all your other loves pale in comparison. So I don't want you to come to me just for some things. I don't want you to appeal to me just for stuff that you need. I don't want you to come to me just to be inspired. I want all of you. I want your soul. I want your strength. I want your will. I want your heart, he says. I want to be your Rachel, he says. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm certainly not saying that discipleship is not about duty. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that it's not about uh, obedience. It's not about effort, regardless how you feel, because it is all those things. But Jesus is saying, you're not a real disciple, you're not a real Christian unless your relationship with Jesus is real, it's personal, it moves you. Now, hate is a strange word. It's a strange word that Jesus uses here. But Jesus is really saying, put me first. Now, why didn't he just say that? I mean, he could have just said, I'm your priority. We talked about that last week. But it's because he's not just talking about priority. He's saying, I don't want you to just come to me out of duty. I don't want you to just come to me uh, because, um, you know, I'm a, 
I'm a rank order of importance and that's something you should do. He's talking about loving Jesus, embracing Jesus, delighting in Jesus, making him, the psalmist says, you are my portion. You are what makes me whole. You are what makes everything taste good. You are everything to me. It doesn't mean you can't love your parents. It doesn't mean that you can't love your family or your friends. In the daytime, where are the stars? You know, I, my, my little kid, he's, you know, children are amazing because they're blown away by everything. Everything is so new to them. My little kid, he can't talk quite yet, but he'll point to the moon and the stars at night. In the morning, he looks out and he goes, where are they? Where are they? He goes, oh, oh. You know? Um, is it because it's not there? Because the stars are not there? No. They're present, but the light of the sun is so powerful and so brilliant. It overpowers their light. It outshines the light of the moon and the stars, all of them put together. That's what Jesus wants. That's what Jesus wants, his presence to be like in your life. And so in Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, you have the Apostle Paul, he wrote the epistle, he says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, why? Because God poured out his love into our hearts. So what he's saying is this, Look at how the inner soul holds together, no matter what happens. That's why he talks about perseverance, producing character, producing hope. What holds all of us together? What integrates us? What's the engine that's gonna fuel your hope and your character and your perseverance when you are tempted to go left, when you're tempted to fight back, when you're tempted to do all sorts of stuff just to get out of a situation? He says it's the love of God. The gospel. The gospel is what holds us together. And the gospel fuels us. He says, anything else that you latch onto for power and strength will disengage you. It will disintegrate you. <clears throat> Some of you have disappointed your parents. You know, maybe you disappointed your spouse deeply. Some of you disappointed your children. You feel like you're battling you know, for their love and their approval. Some of you disappointing your older siblings or younger siblings, maybe your friends. It's like this dark cloud of shame or fear or failure constantly hovering over you and you don't want to make a misstep and you feel almost this abandonment or rejection. Or maybe it's you're in fear because you so badly want a certain person in your life, you know, or you want to go in a particular career path and so you desperately need the approval of certain people at work or you need to get into this program because if you, that's, what's, that's the path, that's what you need. Some of you, it's, it's a little bit more abstract. There are people out there and they have a particular type of life and you want that life. Or you have all these things. And there's this desperation because you don't want to lose it. And so all these things, they own you. So the very things that make you happy are also the things that make you sad. And they make you anxious. They make you depressed. They make you restless. That's the beginning of the disintegration. The very, that the very hint of losing any of these things or not getting there, it makes you fall apart. It makes you lose, then who am I? It makes you lose yourself. 
if you don't love God comparatively above all other things in your life? Where do you get the power to surrender like that? Where do you get the power to worship and love something like that? What do you do? Now, I'll tell you some worldly ways that people have figured out. <clears throat> you can actively resent something if you want. You know, try to be indifferent towards it. You could try to detach or disengage, separate yourself from those things. You know, I so desperately wanted these people's approval, and so now I'm going to detach from them. That's definitely one way to get free, by killing that part of your heart, but that's going to lead you to increased hardness, increased bitterness, and ultimately, it's going to lead you to increased loneliness. C.S. Lewis is a great author and philosopher. He says, the only way that you will truly have the power to replace a particular beauty that you hold dear in your life is to essentially become overwhelmed by a greater beauty. So if you're clinging on to the moon and if you're clinging on to the stars, you need the sun and its beauty and its brilliance in your life. And Jesus here is saying that you need to see the love of God more. You need the brilliance of the presence of God in your life. You need to see that kind of love. You need to see that kind of love modeled. You need to receive that kind of love. Jesus has to become your Rachel. How does that happen? Well, Jesus says you need to carry your cross. If you want to follow him, you need to carry your cross. Notice he doesn't say you need to take up my teachings. You need to follow my example. You try to do that, you're going to fail, and it's going to crush you. Try to obey the greatest commandment on your own. Try to obey the first commandment on your own, on your own willpower. Try to, try to obey the second commandment, any of the commandments for that matter, on your own willpower. You can't. You can't obey. You can't obey like that. But Jesus says, you want to follow me? Carry your cross. What does that mean? Now, I want you to take the image of carrying your cross. What does that mean? It means to literally put yourself in the place of a condemned criminal. In other words, when the criminal is guilty, you're guilty. When the criminal is condemned, you're condemned. When the criminal has a death sentence, that's your death sentence. To carry a cross means that Jesus Christ put himself in our place. He didn't just conceive what it's like to be a criminal. He became the criminal. He put himself in our place because he took our place on the cross because he identified himself with us. And so to be a disciple, to follow Jesus, is for you to identify yourself with Jesus. We call that union. Union. When Jesus died, you died. When Jesus Christ was punished, then you were punished. The Apostle Paul says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. How does Jesus Christ become our Rachel? You have to first see that you were his Rachel. You were his Rachel. You were worth every pain. You were worth every tear. You were worth every bead of sweat dropped on the cross. You have to see that you were worth every work, every sacrifice that Jesus made. Think about Jesus. Look to Jesus. 
Jesus Christ loved the Father above all things. The love of the Father was comparably greater than anything that Jesus had. It was absolutely clear. He says, I and the Father are one, and there's not a single thing that he did in any of the Gospels that he did apart from the Father's will. Down to the point of his death, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He loved the Father above all things, and yet the Father, because of his love for his people, Jesus Christ then loved his people comparably above all other things. So his obedience to the Father was in concert with his love for his church. We are his Rachel. That's what that means. He didn't just die to appease the Father. He didn't just die out of duty. He didn't just die uh, to obey the Father. He died because of his love for the Father and because his love for the Father was in concert with his love for us. On the cross, what do you see? And so Jesus is weeping and he's sweating and he's working and he's groaning and he's suffering. And all the while he's doing that, he's standing in the place. Our lives are hidden with Christ, it says, in God. That means that when we should have taken the hit, Jesus took the hit. And so the wrath of God is pouring out on the cross. But in our place, Jesus shields us. He covers over us and he's taking, he's taking God's wrath, it says. He's paying the price. He's being punished in our place. And so our lives are hidden in him. In other words, he didn't just come to become our example. You're never going to love an example. Just because someone comes to show you, you're not going to love that. He came to be your substitute. He came to sacrifice his life for ours. And so on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I am God's one and only perfect son. I've always obeyed, and yet God has turned his face away from me. He has hated me. He has abandoned me. He has rejected me. Why? Who would God love so much? What would God love so much that he would send his own son to die on the cross to take their place? And the answer is you. Jesus, he has hated. You, he has loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You were worth the sacrifice. You were worth every tear, every drop of blood, every groan. No one would understand what it means to hate their child. See, no one would understand what it's like to lose their child. You would never even conceive that. And yet the father gave up his son. But no one would understand, no one can conceive what it means to hate their own child more than God. And yet God chose to do this because of his incomparably great love for you. That's the love of the father. That's the love of the Father for you. So Jesus Christ on the cross loses himself. I and the Father are one, he says. But the Father has turned himself away, and so he has lost the Father. He has lost his map. He has lost his comfort. He has lost his compass. He has lost his true north to find you. He had such an ordered love, Jesus. The Father's will, the Father's love, the salvation of his people. 
and it cost him ultimate surrender. Jesus did it. It cost him his life. He died. It cost him the cross. And yet, do you know how personal it was for him? It wasn't out of duty. You know why? On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First of all, you see the Hebrew doublet, my God, my God. Anytime you see the Hebrew doublet, that is a sign, it represents emotional content. And so that means Jesus is weeping. It's personal to him. He's weeping on the cross. It's not because of the pain. He's praying and he's thinking about his people and he's thinking about the loss of the father, forensic loss of the father, and he's just in great pain. It's emotional for him. It's personal to him. And yet, do you know he was actually quoting Psalm 22? You know what that means? That while he's bleeding and dying and suffering on the cross, he's praying and he's worshiping. It's personal to him. What would give us that kind of power? What gave Jesus that kind of power? Hebrews chapter 12 says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He did it out of his joy. That means that even as he was dying and suffering, he's saying, it's worth it. I'm glad to do it. It was his joy. It was his desire. He's satisfied by you. His joy is seeing you reconciled with God. He did all the work. He did all the work. And to the degree that you see Jesus' perfect obedience and his love through his death on the cross for you, to the degree that the gospel moves you, to the degree that it becomes personal to you, you will love Jesus comparably above all other things, including yourselves. Jesus says, hate even your own life. He's not, he's not saying be, be malicious to yourself. There are people in this room, every time you make a mistake, and some, some of you have made some big mistakes, I'm sure, but you just beat yourselves up. you just, you just self-loathing. You're filled with it. You're filled with a self-hatred. It could be incremental, in one moment, moment, momentary, or it could be something big, somewhere big where you messed up. When he says, hate even your own life, what he's saying is, I want you to look to Jesus. Look at him going to the cross. He's emptying himself. You know what he's doing? He's the beautiful, the most beautiful, the person with the most beautiful character in all the universe is becoming Leah so that you could become Rachel to God. To follow him, to carry your own cross is to live according to that pattern of emptying yourself, your life. Living according to the pattern of his life and his death. Now I said this earlier, some of you hate your parents. Or maybe some of you disappointed your parents. In this crowd, there are definitely people in here who are constantly battling to earn the approval of their parents and their sacrifice for them. And to not have that, it just devastates you. You know why? Whether you hate your parents or just, just are desperate for their approval, it's because their approval still matters. Their approval is still a source of your sense of worth. 
And so when Jesus says, I want, you to, I want you to carry your own cross, what he's saying is, I want you to crucify your ego. Surrender the things that you love so much more than me and love Jesus above all other things comparably. Reorder your life. What is gonna be your true north? Look, if you don't have a good compass, you're never gonna know which way is up. The cross meant finality. It was a death sentence. And Jesus is saying, this is the pattern of my death. This is the description of then how you gotta live your life. So if you saw a man carrying a cross up a hill, you knew that's the last, he's on his last leg. This is, the la- this is the end of his journey. He's not gonna make it. No one comes out of this alive. No one carrying a cross then is looking up a hill and says, nah, I changed my mind, I'm gonna put this down, I'm gonna go back, this isn't working for me. There's not a single person with a cross that's ever done that. Jesus is saying, when you carry your cross, you are under arrest. Now that makes some of you worry, but you need to see that if you don't do this, See, every other, every other love demands that too. Your job, if you, want, if you desperately want to go there, whatever there is for you, it's going to cost you your life. Lots of sacrifice, sometimes total surrender. It will come to cost of your family, sometimes your children. Your children are always going to be wondering, how come you're never at home? And you're going to battle guilt internally because of that? If you're living for a person, Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's your spouse. And to give your life, some of you are paying that price now and you're, you're physically involved with people that you probably shouldn't be right now. And so you're gonna give up things in doing that. You're giving up your identity, you're giving up yourself. When you become a parent, when you become a spouse, to live in that neighborhood, it's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you, they say it's cost me an arm and a leg. What do you think that, it's gonna cost you your life. That's what they're saying. You see, if you don't surrender your life, we're all surrendering our lives to something. If you don't surrender your life to Jesus, you're gonna spend the rest of your life worrying and battling for control over your life with God. And that's gonna lead you to suffering and depression and anger and anxiety. You will never have rest. You will never have peace. That's how it's gonna be anyway. But Jesus says, when you hate all other things, comparable to your love for me. As long as you give yourself to me, even if you lose any of these things, I'm the only self-denial that will actually give you your life back. I'm the only form of self-denial that will actually enable you to find yourself. You're gonna have real freedom. You're gonna have your real identity in him. Your life is hid with Christ on high. That's the key to new life, friends. That's the key to thriving. Let's pray together.